Uh, this morning, um, we're going to be uh, continuing our series on uh, Jesus as the Game Changer. Um, I've got a question for you this morning to have a think about. Uh, who do you think uh, is the richest person ever to have lived? One of the, uh, the five uh, richest men uh, to have ever lived uh, is considered to be this guy here. Does anyone know who this is? Well done. This is Andrew Carnegie, or Carnegie for... Uh, the pronunciation that Harry said was right. Uh, this is the, uh, the American uh, steel tycoon from the, uh, the late 19th century. Uh, this guy is considered to be one of the five richest people ever to have lived. Um, this man uh, sold his company, the Carnegie Steel Company, uh, in 1901. And uh, from the sale of that company alone, he made at the time $480 million dollars which uh, when you round that up to kind of today's, the equivalent of today's money, uh, people estimate would be around about $310 billion from the sale of one company. Uh, but what is startling about this man, I don't know whether you know much about him, uh, I didn't know much about him until I kind of looked into his life uh, preparing for this talk, was that this guy gave away almost the entirety of his fortune. People estimate that he gave away uh, to good causes and to the poor almost up to 90% of his fortune, which when you consider 310, the equivalent of $310 billion, that's a lot, of, a lot of money that he gave away. And really what is startling about this guy uh, was what a brave choice that was for him, how easy it would have been for him to amass this wealth and to, to live in luxury. But he, for him, it was important that he, that he gave it away and that he did some real good with his money. So he famously wrote actually, uh, the man who dies rich, dies disgraced. That's really an amazing, uh, amazing quote from a guy who, who had so much and had amassed so much money. So over the last few weeks, as, as you know, we have been looking at uh, the series of Jesus uh, being a game changer. And as, as Ben said earlier on, today we're going to be looking at the, uh, the whole issue of wealth, the whole idea of, of the things we have, the money we have, the possessions we have, and looking at how Jesus uh, came and he, his teaching really turned the table on what was the prevailing view at the time and what is really the prevailing view today about all these things. All through the Gospels, uh, all through the teachings of Jesus, uh, we can see him teaching on subjects that relate not just to people's spiritual life, but also that are intrinsically involved in people's material life, their physical well-being, you know, the things that really t- are tangible to people. Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses 31 to 34 says this, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. I love that that, that verse, the reassurance in that verse, that, that God understands that there are physical needs that we have, the food we have, the clothes we wear, and God is interested in all those things. So that's kind of the context I'm going to be coming uh, to things from that we, that we love and we worship a God who really is interested in our physical uh, needs as well as all the spiritual uh, part of our lives. But there is a sense that we do exist, isn't there, in the church culture that often likes to shy away uh, from talking about these kind of things, from talking about uh, wealth, from talking about possessions, uh, things like that, that, that somehow intrinsically that these things are bad. You know, it's very easy for, for us to kind of exist in a church culture that says that we should kind of avoid those things, that somehow those things are, are wrong, we should just focus on the kind of the spirituality of our lives. But I want to say that I don't believe that is what God thinks. I believe that God does uh, consider that the, the physical things we have in our lives are important. 
What do you think of when you hear the word wealth? There could be a lot of different ideas that kind of come to mind. Uh, maybe when you hear the word wealth, you immediately think of the, the kind of celebrity lifestyle that we see on TV, the, the rich and the famous in their, um, their private jets and their sports cars and, and all that kind of stuff. Or maybe we see people who are successful in business, maybe. People have worked very hard and have been very successful running a business and, and have amassed a lot of money. Um, I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that the world equates wealth really with one thing, and that is money. Isn't it? And the more money you have, the wealthier you are. And the wealthier you are, somehow, the more valuable you are, the more value you have as a person. I want to suggest this morning that actually we are all, on a global scale, incredibly wealthy. You may not feel it this morning, but on a global scale, let's, uh, let's consider uh, really where we stand. According to a report by Credit Suisse in 2014, um, if you have... £2,800, including, that is, the value of your home and the value of all your possessions. Altogether, if you have £2,800, you are within the top 50% richest people in the world. The other half, the other 50%, own less than 1% of the world's global wealth. Two-thirds of the world's poorest people live in just five countries in the world, living on an average of just £1 a day. And in the UK alone, there are 30 million people who are within the top 10% world's richest people. Quite amazing, uh, amazing statistics that are kind of, as I was reading that report, I found quite staggering. There is a, um, a guy in 1994, a photographer called Peter Menzel, who set about a really interesting project. Uh, he, he spent some time traveling the world, and he, he met families in, in lots of different countries around the world that he turned were statistically average. Uh, so these are families who, in the context of their own country, are not particularly rich, but not particularly poor. They're kind of you know, middle class, you know, kind of average families. And he, what he did is he took a series of photographs of these families uh, standing outside their homes uh, with every single one of their possessions. And uh, the, the results are really quite interesting. Um, so this is a, a family from Japan. They're quite, quite, quite amazing pictures, aren't they? Sitting outside their house with every single one of their possessions. This is a family from Mongolia. This is a family from India. This is a family from Mali. Again, these are every single one of their possessions. This is a family from the UK. And here's a family from the USA. They're quite amazing photos when you kind of look at them in, as a kind of a group in a context. And he took many more of these. There's a whole book that he published uh, of these pictures. And I think they're quite astounding, um, really. And this was, 20, this was over 20 years ago. I kind of wonder what the, what the differences would be even today. And I wonder if, if he came to your house, you know, I certainly know for me, it'd be uh, quite a telling ex experience. If he then took a photo of you with, with all your possessions, what would that look like? The differences are huge, aren't they? You know, you may not feel it, but on a global scale, we are all incredibly wealthy here. And as these photos show, the differences uh, and the, the inequalities between different families around the world is huge. But what I think is really interesting as we come to look at the teaching of Jesus is that he, nowhere does he place people's value on the level of their possessions, on the amount of stuff they have. The value that Jesus places on people is not dependent, is it, on their material wealth, 
that Jesus sees wealth in a really different way, that it's not wrapped up in a person's material possessions or their money. There's a real big difference, as we're going to come and look at, uh, to Jesus between somebody's wealth and somebody's value. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, uh, if you can turn to Mark chapter 10, we're going to be reading a passage and looking uh, at an event that uh, occurred with Jesus during his teaching. Uh, I've got it, it'll come up on the screen as well. It's Mark chapter 10, uh, reading from verse 17. I'll say it'll come up on the screen. It won't come on the screen. I'll read it out to you. It says this, we're going to begin at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, oh, here we go, brilliant. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This story is, is a story that I've read many, many times before and it's a story that I've kind of wrestled with a lot over, over the course of my, my kind of Christian life, thinking what's our response uh, to this? Um, and as I've been kind of unpacking it, I think really it's very easy for our response to, to be kind of, oh gosh, Jesus is calling us all to sell all our things. It's, you know, what, what, and it's quite a condemning thing, but actually I think this story is all about Jesus' love, all about Jesus' heart for this guy. This is a man uh, that runs up to Jesus and he falls on his knees and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wants to know how to respond to everything that he's heard Jesus teaching. He says to Jesus that he's a good teacher. He's obviously heard his teaching. He's familiar with what Jesus has been saying. But he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's a man who uh, is probably used to being able to buy or being able to work his way to, to pretty much whatever he wanted. And so his initial reaction is to say, okay, Jesus, I hear what you're saying. What can I do? Where do I sign? What can I buy? But it's really interesting to see that nowhere does Jesus condemn him uh, for having so much wealth and for thinking this way. There's no senses there that Jesus sees his possessions and his wealth as something that is intrinsically a bad thing. You know, the rich man seems to have led uh, what you'd consider to be a good life. He says, "I've, I've kept all the commandments since I was a boy. And Jesus doesn't dispute this at all. But he knows that despite this obedience, despite uh, this kind of life that he's led, where he's kept the, the, the obedience and kept the commandments, he is still lacking this one thing. Verse 21 uh, is one of my just favorite verses in this passage, that Jesus looked at him and loved him. You, you can almost hear, can't you, that Jesus' heart is breaking for this guy, knowing that he has so much, and yet he's still lacking the one thing he really, really needs. Because for Jesus, this man's value isn't caught up in his, uh, his wealth, in his possessions. I love how his, Jesus' language is really sympathetic uh, to the man's current lifestyle. He uses the word treasure, doesn't he, to appeal to the thing that the man most desires. But he turns it around uh, to explain that he can have treasure in heaven. Jesus moves to fill that one thing that he is lacking in a way that he can relate to. 
But it's clear that this, this man's wealth and his possessions have a real grip on him. And it's stopping him from experiencing uh, the true wealth of life with Jesus. And so what's Jesus' response? He says to him, sell all you have, give the proceeds to the poor, and then you'll be able to come and follow me. He wants him to, to cut off that one thing that is coming between uh, him and Jesus. So I wonder for, for us this morning, what is it in your life that is uh, stopping you from experiencing everything that Jesus has for you? What is it that is between you and Jesus that you can't let go of, that has a grip on you? What is the one thing that Jesus is saying, you know what, get rid of that, and then come and follow me? But the man can't get over that obstacle, can he? So his face falls and he walks away sad because of the grip that his wealth has on him. I wonder at that point what Jesus' reaction would have been. I wonder if Jesus' face fell just as much as the man's face fell. He loved him, didn't he? It says it in, in the verse, he loved him and yet he had to see him walk away because he couldn't let go of all the stuff that he had. So what is our, what is our takeaway from this story? Are we called uh, to sell everything we have? It's worth saying that, uh, that Jesus didn't demand this of all the rest of his followers. Uh, Matthew 27 uh, speaks of Joseph of Arimathea, uh, and it describes him as being a rich man, and yet he was a disciple of Jesus as well. Luke chapter two uh, describes a number of different women who were financially supporting uh, the work that Jesus was doing. But that being said, maybe here for some people here, maybe your own wealth, and by that I mean the things that you own, the money you have in a bank, whatever value that might be, maybe that is something that is stopping you from following Jesus fully. But maybe for you it's something else. I believe that God's heart breaks when he sees all the things that we place between us and him, all the things that we use to define our own value, just like the rich man was, the things that we, that we use to give ourselves a sense of value and a sense of purpose. Jesus is saying that whatever is coming between us and him needs to be removed. So let's be people who recognize what those things are. Matthew 6, 21 says that wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure this morning? Because the Bible says that will be where your heart is. And if your treasure is wrapped up in things uh, of this life, things uh, you know, of, this, uh, in, of, the, of the earth, then your heart won't be aligned with Jesus. But if that Jesus is saying to the man that he needs to get treasure in heaven, why is that? Because if his treasure is in heaven, then his heart will be in heaven as well. And if his heart is in heaven, then his life is going to be focused on living out everything that Jesus is teaching to having that true wealth that he promises. So Jesus doesn't condemn the man for being materially wealthy, but he wants him to recognize the hold that his wealth has on him. And he wants him to break that hold by being prepared to give it away. Um, we're going to continue to, to look at this idea of giving, to, to the power of giving, by looking at a passage uh, from the book of John. So if you've got, got your Bibles, flick over to, to John chapter, you know, there we go, John chapter 6. If I can have, sorry guys, if I can have John chapter 6 uh, together. We're going to read a passage beginning at verse 5. Brilliant. It's quite handy having the entire Bible on a computer, isn't it? <laughs> 
Great, let's read together from John uh, 6, beginning at verse five. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. What I love about this story and about the economics of Jesus is just how far removed they are uh, from our own expectations. Verse nine of this passage uh, says, here is a boy with five small loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Andrew at this point is looking at this offering, he's looking at the loaves, he's looking at the fish, and what does he see? He sees limitation, doesn't he? He sees impossibility, he sees a lack of resources. But what does Jesus see? Jesus looks at these loaves and he looks at the fish and he sees abundance. He sees more than enough. In the small offering that this boy makes, Jesus sees real wealth and therefore real potential. Because the truth is the loaves and the fish were just a small offering. They were just a very small offering that that could be made. But once they were given to Jesus, Jesus turned that scarcity into wealth, but wealth that was used for God. God multiplies, doesn't he? God multiplies what is humanly possible, and every person there was satisfied. You know, the extravagance of God. I love the fact that it wasn't just enough for each person to have a little bite, that each person could just have what they needed, but actually every person was satisfied, and there was much left over as well. What have we got, each of us here this morning, that maybe feels like scarcity, maybe feels like a very small offering, but actually could be turned into incredible wealth? Here was a boy who outwardly uh, seemed to only have a very small amount, but because he was willing, wasn't he, to give it to Jesus, he had, in fact, incredible wealth. And he was willing to allow Jesus to turn his apparent insufficiency into a wealth that could feed and satisfy equal to half a year's salary. I'm always really impressed when we all get together and we have our, our bring and share meals here uh, at, the, at the level of the, the spread that we have. I don't know about you, but every time we get together and we have our meals together as a congregation, I love seeing all the, the food that people bring. Everybody uh, is so generous. But this is a whole other ball game, isn't it? You know, half a year's worth of wages, worth of food. Jesus takes the uh, seemingly insufficient, he turns it into the extravagant. So where do you feel insufficient? Because if the truth is this morning, I wanna say that actually in that area, maybe in fact you are potentially wealthier than you realize. Rather than saying, I don't have anything to give, God, what would it look like if we could say, you know, I can give what I have? Maybe you've got financial wealth, maybe you don't. The fact remains that God just simply wants you to give what you have. Maybe you have a wealth of time. 
Maybe you have a wealth of ability in a certain area. Maybe you have a wealth of care you can give. Maybe you do have financial wealth. It's interesting that we were, looking, we were talking earlier about the need for, for areas of service within, within the church here. Maybe you have a wealth of ability that you can give into one of those areas. Where's God saying, let me take that, multiply it, and use it really as real wealth? One of the things that I love about the freedom that we have as Christians uh, is that God can take whatever we give him and use it for his purposes. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 7, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We've already had that verse mentioned to us this morning. God wants us to live generously, doesn't he? But why? Because a generous life disarms the grip that wealth can have on our lives. Generosity takes away the power of greed and it removes that grip of self-sufficiency of saying, I'm gonna hoard all this stuff because I need it. Luke uh, 6, 38 says this, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. God is a generous, generous God. The Bible speaks of God being a father who knows and wants to give his children good gifts. God wants us to be wealthy with heavenly treasure. Be on the lookout for opportunities to give generously. I love sometimes you just have that opportunity, just jump, drops into your, into your lap where you can have a chance to give outrageously. Give in a way that really costs you. The Roman emperor, uh, Marcus Aurelius, uh, said this, I love this quote, the only wealth which you will keep forever is the wealth which you've given away. Jesus really is the game changer in this. He takes our view of wealth, our view of what we have, and he turns it on his head. So today, as I uh, finish up, let's consider the ways in which uh, we are wealthy. Let's think through the areas of our lives in which we have opportunity to give, whether that's financially, whether that's in any other, other way. What ways can you give out and what ways can you enable Jesus to multiply, to create true, lasting wealth, not just for you, but for other people as well? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who uh, Tim was speaking about the other week, uh, said this as well, Christianity preaches the infinite worth of that which is seemingly worthless and the infinite worthlessness of that which is seemingly so valued. So you might be here this morning and you might feel, do you know what, I don't have any wealth. I feel completely wealthless. I feel completely worthless. But we serve a God that says, what is seemingly worthless actually has infinite worth. So let's find that wealth and let's give it away. Paul writing to Timothy says this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share because in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You know, we can be rich, but we can be rich in good deeds, in generosity, and in wealth that God will multiply, God will use to bless his people and to bless this world.